again, though. Get him on the phone. Say he got a play. Bring it to the brain. Turn the rain to snow. Hello and welcome to the Hearts and Handles Sports Podcast. My name is Ismail Zawan. Thank you so much for being here. Bublik, Bublik gets his first 580p title, the biggest title of his career. He defeats Rublev. My boy is good. He's good when he's focused. He's not focused all the time, but he was this week, and he gets an amazing victory over Rublev. Alcaraz gets his first grass title against Deminar. He looks good. He could. He's probably the 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 only hope we have of Djokovic not winning his 24th at Wimbledon, and. Mexico beat Honduras 4-0. Jimmy Lozano, the Lamborghini, Lamborghini is off and running. Mexico looked better against a super bad Honduras, I must say. And CP3 goes to the Warriors. That's a crazy trade. CP3 potentially backing, backing up um, Curry. That's crazy after all their matchups, after you know years and years of them battling it out in the Western Conference He's joining the Warriors. That's pretty insane. All of that on this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. My boy Bublik. My boy Bublik takes down Rublev, who I love. I love Rublev. Uh, I got his autograph or whatnot. He beats him 6-3, in the Halle crown. He wins his first 500 ATP title. Good for him. Everyone... Kind of like Kyrgios, everyone knows that Bublik is super talented. He's one of the best players, just talent-wise, on the tour. But his mental is not there, his mentality. He's not always focused. He he likes to uh, sometimes entertain the crowd too much. Like, instead of playing a point, right, he wants to do the spectacular. He wants to, you know, uh, do some crazy shot or, you know, maybe do a drop shot when it's not warranted. Uh, go for a tweener. Hit it even with the with the handle of the racket. He does some crazy stuff. Um, he's even said in 2020 that he only plays tennis uh, just for the money, which I do believe him. Like uh, leading up to this, I'm like, yeah, homie's talented. Homie, homie could play on a, on a given day. He could beat a lot of people, especially on grass. But it, it did feel like he's just here for the money. But now he has a family. Like you can see his family after the title. He has a little kid. He has a wife, I believe. And, man, he, he really buckled down and took the Holly tournament pretty, pretty uh, seriously. And if he does that for Wimbledon, he should be ranked now. He should be seeded, uh, top 32 uh, seed in Wimbledon. So we'll see how he goes. Uh, there's this crazy stat that, like, the only non-Federer uh, winners for the Holly crown have lost in the first round at Wimbledon. Hopefully, Bublik could, uh, gets a favorable, favorable draw and he's able to go a little deeper into Wimbledon, but nevertheless, like if this is all Bublik wins, I'm glad I was able to see it. Even, although it was against my boy Rublev, but Bublik is is a talented guy, and he does look like he's a he's a nice guy. Like I, I've seen him um, at the net after matches, and for the most part, he has like really good, genuine embraces with other players. Like he always congratulates them and gives them a, a warm smile. So I, I do I do think Bublik is a nice guy, and I, I would like to see him go far in Wimbledon. And if he plays anything like how he did uh, this week, where he he was crowned a Holly champion, like he he could potentially be one of those guys that you know bust a bracket or unexpected guys that you're like, whoa, he's he's in the quarterfinals and he's making a push. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to Bublik. I think he deserves it. Um, 
like I said, one of the most talented players on tour. Um, similar to Kyrgios, doesn't probably doesn't have as many outrages as Kyrgios, but in the same mold that super talented. Uh, you can see it. The eye test doesn't lie. You see them hit the ball. You see how um, they move. You see the things they could do with the racket on their hand, and you're like, okay, like this guy's talented. And then you see some of the dumb stuff they do, and you're like, okay, this guy's never going to win anything. But thankfully for this week, at least, Bublik was able to get it together, had a great week, um, had pretty pretty stiff competition on the way to, to his first uh, grass title. But shout out to Bublik. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. And, you know, keep it going. Keep it going. Let's see how far you can go at Wimbledon. And speaking of first grass titles, Carlos Alcaraz defeats Alex Deminar in a pretty comfortable final, 6-4, 6-4. It never looked like it was going to go the distance. It never looked like, looked like it was going to go for three sets. And that says a lot about Alcaraz. Like, he played a great match. Um, he even looked, I thought Corda had a chance in the semifinal. I like Corda. A lot of people call him the most talented American, even above Tiafo, even above uh, Taylor Fritz, uh, even Tommy Paul. Like Corda, Corda looks the most uh, fluid probably on court. He a lot of times his game looks really good. So I thought he could give Alcaraz trouble in the semis. That was not the case. He beat him six three six four. So Alcaraz during this tournament he was like yeah the, during the Queens Club uh, Championships he was like yeah you know the favorite or like the one that's probably going to compete against uh, Djokovic at Wimbledon um, the hardest or whoever has the biggest chance it's probably Nick Kyrgios and he's trying to deflect he's been trying to deflect but throughout the week he kind of he's kind of been gaining some confidence he's like okay you know uh I, I'm kind of I, I don't remember the exact quotes but he's basically saying like hey I'm not that bad at grass you know like it's this is a good week like um, I didn't expect this from my from myself in grass and he got it done um, he did beat a very informed Dimitrov. Dimitrov was having a good week. Uh, like I said, he beat uh, informed Korda. He beat uh, informed Deminar. Like he, he had a, some stiff competition at the Queens Club, and you know, going into the Queens Club, I thought maybe maybe one boy Andy Murray could make a run after winning two challengers. That was not the case. He lost in the first round. So you know, it's not always easy to to you know buckle down for a week. Queen's Queen's Club Championship. So, can Alcaraz buckle down for two weeks and win Wimbledon in, in just one week's time? Maybe we'll see. Like I said, I think I think he's the he's the one that um, has the best chance against Djokovic. He did regain his number one position at the ATP rankings, so he will be going into Wimbledon as the number one player in the world, which is important. We'll see if he gets a, a better draw. He basically um, guarantees that he he most likely won't see Djokovic till the final if they meet up with each other. So we'll see if Alcaraz could do it. I think he could do it. I think he could win it. But um, I do think Djokovic is the favorite favorite against the field. Like he's won so many in a row. He's in good form. He looks like he's having the time of his life. He's uh, after the French Open. He's kind of just been recovering, enjoying his life with his wife. He's posted a couple pictures where they're just like in a swing just enjoying life i think his birthday just passed too he turned he turned 37 or 36 he's like 37 never looked better like Djokovic looking good um i think i think he's he should be the favorite going into wimbledon but i, I like what i saw from carlos alcaraz in the queen's club like i said i thought corda was gonna give him trouble i thought that was gonna go the distance and it didn't um alcaraz complete and corda broke 
Alcaraz to start the the first set like and Alcaraz unwavered broken back right away and then took care of that set 6-3 gives you the, the the type of mentality that Alcaraz has at the moment so yeah good week for Alcaraz got his feet wet in the grass got his first grass title um I think he even surprised himself a little bit I think now he has probably bigger expectations going into Wimbledon and like I said it's the field against Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz is definitely leading the, the field side and hopefully, you know, he's able to have a good showing at Wimbledon. Mexico defeat Honduras 4-0. And although we have to take it with a grain of salt, we got to consider the opponent. We got to consider um, that Mexico basically has their A-team for the most part. There's, there is a couple of players missing. But when you consider the tournament, the opponent, um, you got to, you know, temper down. Uh, your excitement or your optimism after defeating Honduras 4-0. I will say that. Let me just preface this these comments with that. But I will say, Mexico did look better. Like, Honduras, super weak opponent. Nothing against Honduras. They're going through probably some changeover. They put a very weak 11 out there. They did not look like they belonged. They were down 1-0 after a minute. So nothing, no, nothing against Honduras, but, you know, they're not the best opponent but Mexico did have some friendlies, did have some friendlies leading up to the Nations League where, you know, they played Jamaica and they played some other teams and they did not look good at all. Like it wasn't just against, um, you know, Panama, who's a better CONCACAF team or um, the United States, who's probably the best, who is definitely the best CONCACAF team right now. Like they were looking bad against, you know, these other mediocre or not as good CONCACAF teams and in their friendlies. So it's for Mexico to look this good against Honduras, take that one low lead. You see the players running around way harder. Like you could see them sprinting, which was crazy. Like every attack had like three three Mexicans in the box. Like every cross looked like like the midfielders were just being told to like crash the box, get in the box, get in the box. And that's key. Um Orbelin played really good. I actually really liked how um um, I mean, Santi Jimenez didn't play, or he did play. He came in as a sub, but um, the the starting forward for for Mexico, uh, Henry Martin, he 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 played pretty good. He had a good hold up play in in the leading the front line. Um, Antuna again was not that good. Um, I don't see how he keeps starting. Uh, Luis Romo and Luis Chavez, they were really good. Overall, the team was really good. The main thing, the main takeaways that I have from that game is that Mexico was sprinting. They were running. I think Jimmy Lozano was like, okay, like we probably can't control how good we are or, you know, the form that we're in, but we could always control the effort that we put into this. Like we could always control um, how much we want it. Like we could always control like like what we feel for the jersey, for, for, the, for the national team jersey. And you could, I mean, I, I noticed the difference, like, I could see the players running. Uh, a big uh, switch that he made was putting Edson Alvarez at the center back position. I think that really fortified the back line. Again, you got to take it with the grain of salt. Like it's not like Mexico really faced that much. Um, you know, it's not like Honduras was really gonna get uh, a lot of men forward. It's not like they were gonna create a lot of chances. It's not like they were gonna really challenge the back line like that. But in the times that they did. Alvarez and Vasquez looked solid. They looked like they knew what they were doing. It, it, you had this, you know, sense of comfort having them back there. So that was good. But overall, I just think the team hustled more. And 
at the very least, that's what you want to see from your national team. If, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, the least talented team on the field, if, if you're the underdog, you know, there's nothing you can really do. Other, that's like a long-term problem. You got to develop more, better players. You got to give them more opportunities. You got to fix your academies. You got to, you got to do all this stuff that hopefully they still get done. Hopefully we look at, at our league. We bring back relegation. We invest in the youth. We make it mandatory for teams to give young players a lot of playing time. We we put a cap. We put a hard cap on on the amount of foreign players that play on each team on each starting lineup. We could do all of that. That's more of a long term thing. But with the players that we have right now, the one thing you could always change right away is the effort that they put on the field. You could just ingrain it in their heart. Like we're gonna run and run and run and run. We're not going to ball watch. Someone has the ball. We're going to check in. We're going to give them options. And I think at the very least, if, if you don't want to analyze anything else, at the very least, you could say that this Mexico team ran way harder with Jimmy Lozano. Now, can they keep it up? Can he Can he keep that mentality going forward? Can he tell them, like, this is it? Like, this is how we're going to do it? Can they really run like that forever? It's hard to see. It's hard. It's hard to predict. Um, it could just be, you know, we got Jimmy Lozano, we got embarrassed, we got to try hard right now. And like I said, it's, it's against Honduras, we got to take it against, in a grain of salt. They got Haiti on Thursday, which is not the strongest opponent either. And I think they got Qatar on Sunday, which is not the strongest opponent either. So we got to see till the group stages. Like I said, Mexico, for the most part, has a, a strong roster. They got like their A, their A-minus team in the Gold Cup, so they should be the favorites. We'll see how they do going into group stages. Like I said, I prefaced all these comments acknowledging that Honduras is not the strongest opponent and Mexico should have won this game regardless of who was coaching them or who they put out there. But like I said, the hustle and the running that they showed was at the very least a welcome sight. And I think the players and the interviews that they had after the game um, said that they appreciated having Jimmy as their coach. So hopefully, you know, they show that respect to Jimmy and they show that they care about the the national team badge, the national, wearing the privilege that it is to wear the national team jersey and they're able to keep this up and have a good Gold Cup showing. Because like I said, that Nations League disaster left a very sour, sour taste in everyone's mouth. I think the Federation got the, got the message. They appointed Jimmy pretty quick. And we'll see if they do any other changes, you know, to the whole mexican soccer or football pyramid hierarchy like you gotta like i said you gotta bring back relegation you gotta invest in the youth um fortify your academies send players early um to europe a lot of stuff needs to be done at the very least they showed that they cared about the jersey and please please bench antuna that's all i gotta say and the trade that rocked the NBA community before the draft. Chris Paul is traded to the Warriors. Crazy Chris Paul traded to the Warriors. That was that was pretty many, not gonna lie. Um, I was at work when it happened. The coworker was like, bro, you seen this CP3 to the Warriors? It's crazy. On the basketball side, the Warriors needed size. Um, they needed size at the rim. They needed someone that could handle Jokic. They did need to get rid of Poole um, if they were going to keep Draymond because 
that that was that was the problem that was not gonna fix like once Draymond hit him they should have done it like right away obviously they couldn't do it last year because they had just given a pull an extension but it had to be done so I give him credit I give him credit for you know not not putting a band-aid on this and trying to just move forward headstrong and hoping that this would resolve itself it would go away like it couldn't once two grown men go at it and someone punches them knocks them to the ground like that's ggs man you gotta you gotta pull the trigger you gotta get rid of one of them they got rid of pool who last year looked terrible he does he didn't look like a good player like he could be a good player on a good team although he did have a pretty good run when they won the championship but to get chris paul back at 38 when he has this injury history like every playoff he just gets hurt whenever you need him the most he's hurt he's on the sideline you uh, you need him elimination game or pivotal game in a series and you look to the sidelines and he's on street clothes and he's he has the same disappointed look and then you lose a pivotal game and oh chris paul might come back for the closeout game chris paul might come back for the closeout game and the closeout game comes and he's still in street clothes and he can't he can't he can't play and whether you've been a fan of the clippers or I think even the Rockets, or now the Suns, like, you've experienced this, and it's like, man, you get hella pumped up, you, you think, like, damn, Chris Paul, at this old age, he's still a good floor general, he still give you eight assists, he still give you, like, 13 to 15, 16 points, and, you know, he'll keep the, the offense going, he'll dictate pace, like, we're good, like, we just need a solid 25, 30 minutes from you. And nope, his body breaks down in the playoffs time and time again. So is this really what the Warriors needed? Like, if they're thinking about going super small and starting him, Chris Paul, Curry, and Clay, like, not not in twenty twenty three, my guy. Like, maybe back in the day when Clay was a, was one of the best um, two way players when he was a, a lockdown defender at the wing position, and he, you know he's six seven, so he he has a little bit of size. He's not the He's not the biggest 6'7", but he is 6'7", so he could potentially play the small forward position. Now that he he's coming back from, or he came back from two injuries, he's not moving as well. He's not the defender that he was. And you put six feet Chris Paul and six small 6'3", Curry, small frame Curry, I like that could, that could not work. So CP3 off the bench, leading the second unit, playing less minutes, keeping him fresh till the playoffs. That could work. I could see that. But I don't like it. I think they got the for the picks that they gave up and and pool. Um, you know, you could probably find a sucker to find to take pool to bet on his potential. Um, you show him the twenty twenty two playoff highlights and finals highlights. You you show him just regular highlights of him where he does do some nice dribbles, some pretty dribbles in tight spaces, some step back deep threes. You show him all those cool highlights. You hide the turnovers. You hide the bad decision making. You you hide the the unwarranted super deep threes in, in pivotal time of the game where Curry should have had the ball. Um, you hide all of those. You show him all the good highlights. I think you find a sucker that gives you a little more value than Chris Paul. But you know, I've always said that professional sports are pretty much like it's a reality reality TV show. Like. It's the most entertaining reality TV show out there. Like, if you're a fan of the sport and you you follow all the storylines and you 
you're like, man, that's crazy. I could I could have never seen like this happen. Like, like the way things fall and the storylines that happen, like it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And to see Chris Paul end up at the Warriors after you know trying so hard to beat them, um, after trying so hard to beat him with the Clippers and with the Rockets and with the Suns and you know the Warriors being a uh, a thorn on his side maybe not the Suns but you you get what I'm saying but trying so hard to to get to the Western Conference Finals to represent the West in the NBA Finals sorry sorry Chris Paul like I know that that must have been you know probably a punch to the ego but it is what it is Chris Paul is now potentially backing backing up uh Steph Curry and we'll see we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes like I say I live in the Bay Area so I'm probably gonna see them probably gonna see how it works out like firsthand and uh like I gotta say Warrior fans weren't too excited I think everyone was kind of like damn we fucking hate Chris Paul like as of the Bay Area we hate Chris Paul like we've been ingrained to not like Chris Paul and now he's here but I think they'll come around like I said the Warriors still need to get some size they still need to get a, uh, a lockdown defender and someone that could protect the rim. But, you know, the draft just happened. Free agency is about to start. Like, things are going to ramp up. They still got some moves they can make. They can still trade Clay. maybe. We'll see how it goes. But that should do it for this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your time. Have a great rest of your day. Slide no sudden moves on my goons are stretching and I'm taxing for the feet on my damn collection.